Hello and welcome to uh, another agency takeover of Lab Talks. Um, I'm just going to go around the room uh, with me today. Uh, we've got Brandon. Brandon, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. Thanks, George. I'm uh, Brandon Keenan. I'm the uh, principal partner of Attention Economics and currently working with Great Big Story. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks, Brandon. We also have Albertine in the room with us. Albertine, do you mind doing a little intro? Um, thanks, George. Hi, I'm Albertine. I'm the executive producer of Great Big Story. Um, which we have just relaunched. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And we have a Lab Talks favourite, Mr. Ben <laughs> Butley. Uh, ben, little intro. I am Ben. I am the former host of Lab Talks, coming back, and also the CEO of Alchemy Exchange. Fantastic. Um, so we've got a bit of a range of topics today, but um, first of all, I'm going to dive straight in and we want to talk about the importance of creative and advertising. Um who wants to take a stab at that to start off with? Uh, well, look, I think with the new world, we're not getting ahead of ourselves, but creative is going to trump all things in the, in the future. I mean, audiences are getting tired of the same old stuff, so creative is is crucial. So getting that right, I don't think, you know, we've seen too many bad creatives, so I think it's important that advertisers do it, take some chances and do things that connect with audiences for sure. Absolutely. Um, and do you know what sort of tactics people are going to kind of go for going forward? Anything that you have a, a bit of a point of view for that you might want to want to share with the audience? Yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of ways when we're starting to think about, you know, differently. And I think getting into you know, the data piece and, and the changing world of, of kind of the digital ecosystem, thinking about the creative stuff. And it is still all about connecting to consumers or contacting future audiences. And I think there's a theory now about, you know, one ad for all is sort of kind of making some comebacks on podcasts, right? You're starting to hear that a little bit because, um, and, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but wouldn't it be fun to have been a madman like and live in the sixties and just like sit around and drink whiskey and come up with creative ideas that people loved? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I think the Mad Men side of things is definitely kind of the, the sexy side of the things, but um, maybe we can leave some of the old fashions behind and bring it into the, into the new age. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, I, think, I think the creative stuff, yeah, the old fashioned stuff for sure, but like the creative stuff, like, you know, I think, I think sometimes brands limit themselves by creating stuff very specifically using a lot of data and a lot, a lot of things and, and actually hyper-targeting because they, they do a great job with it. So that, that's useful for current audiences. But if you're, really, if you're trying to find new audiences, right? And I think a lot of brands find themselves in a bit of a rut. If they have an over-reliance on data and an under-reliance on creative, they, they, they don't put the, the, re, the respect to creative that it needs. It's like, how are you going to appeal to new audiences that might not ever know about you? And I think you can do that with good creative. I agree. I think I was, I was on the train to Paris for the blockchain week and I picked a GQ for free. I haven't had one for ages, the actual physical magazine. And you go through like the first, whatever it is, 25 pages. And it's like, they get zero information other than, oh yeah, we circulated a million yeah. copies. But the amount of thought and effort that goes into the ads they have on like the double page spread, single page spread, I do really appreciate. And I think there is, there has been with the amount of, I mean, you, a display ad, right? It's like a 300 by 250 MPU. It's not very exciting, but on that you right. will get the impressions, the number of impressions that were visible. If it's a video, you know that 15% viewed 25% of the video and X% viewed 50 and 75. And 
hundred people clicked on it, but like, what is that really telling you? Like, there's a reason that whilst the investment in print and TV has declined, people still want a TV ad. People still pay tens of millions of dollars to have an ad at the Super Bowl halftime and pay creative yeah. agencies loads of money to nail something because you have their attention and whilst you can't necessarily draw a line to it it's how people then perceive that brand and that perception is probably immeasurable but really what makes brands cool at the end of the day I think like blimey about to start an electrical fire in the back of the office um by the way can I just back up and be clear I do believe in data and using data to build creatives for sure and what you're saying is 100% right but there is a room for one ad for all and bringing that creative element back I mean I work with Albertine here on on, you know it's a great big story and and one of the challenges I think is you know creating great stories and creating things that people enjoy that are entertaining and then working with brands and not creating an ad creating a great story that people think are entertaining that puts the brand in that, you know, and I think you got to wear two hats when you do that, right? So Absolutely. It's, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of the time what the brand is interested in and working with you is your audience. And mm. Great Big Story has um, a very loyal, very engaged audience. And, you know, we want to serve them stories that fit in with everything editorial. Um, and, and we want all of our Great Big Stories to um, have a real element of surprise, a kind of, oh, I didn't know that. Um, kind of moment uh, we want really engaging characters and very visual storytelling um, and then I think if we can find stories that will align with brands um, and you know that we can find a way to tell those stories engage our audience get them to share get them to like get them to like really engage with the stories but in there carefully kind of knitted through is the messaging from from the commercial client I think that's that's the sweet spot that we're looking for yeah, there's actually, um, and Charles is going to roll his eyes, I've been talking to him about this for about 12 months, but um, there's a, a website or brand rather called Vacation Inc. And they do sunscreen, they do moisturizers, they do oh. pool stuff, like stuff you'd have on a beach, right? But they launched their site with this really cool, like designed like a computer from like the early 2000s that was just had really good playlists on it it looked really kitsch like it loaded up it had like a little kind of jingle when you loaded it and off the back of that they then launched this really success i think they've just finished a round of funding for four million dollars for i mean the sun cream's cool it like comes in a old whipped cream bottle and <laughs> that like they they kind of just went like really he- just like create a vibe and like have a cool creative and then some interesting products behind it and that actually yielded success for them as a business so it kind of to the point we're discussing it is hugely important to nail the creative because i mean the opposite end of the scale is the the coinbase ad over the super bowl right like the qr they, code yeah, yeah which is just like come on guys you paid a I lot of money it, for i hate that. that they got negative they got positive reinforcement though because it worked right but that's well then the app crashed and i'm like yeah yeah <laughs> Um, that's that's really interesting though what, what you bring up there and I think we're all probably saying the same thing around about how, how telling a story is so important and conveying that message and you know bringing back to your madmen they told some brilliant stories and that's why people were so engaged um, 
Are there any other, you know, players or, you know, clients that you guys have been working with that you can kind of talk about that have been a really great example of, you know, what, what good creative is um, that you might want to share with us? So the, uh, the, the new great big story is just back since about January, February. The first videos we've been running are just recently, like April, right? So, or March, March. Yeah, we, lo- we launched in February. Yeah, so we launched in February. Um, we are working with a launch partner as from a creative end. So we're, we're kind of going through that and we're working out, you know, the kinks and figuring out how to come back. I mean, as great big stories always had, and I've worked with, you know, hundreds of brands on great big story in the past at, at my time over at CNN. So um, some of the brands, I mean, travel, travel tours and boards were, were really, um, cause to take you somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, I always used to talk about this wasabi video. Like it was, you know, and, and I didn't know this, but the wasabi that you eat, at the at most sushi places in London is just like colored mayonnaise. Huh. You know, it's not real wasabi. And like real wasabi is really rare and really hard to find. And so um, Japan Air, or maybe I'm going to screw this up, but maybe it was ANA or Japan, one of the airlines. Oh God, bad plug. <laughs> no, they're not, that's not our client anymore. Um, uh, flew, just basically just told a story about this ancient farm guy who's, who's been, you know, cultivating wasabi and went through the process of that. So it took me to Japan and it took me on a journey and it taught me something and it made me think, ah, that's cool. I'd love to go. So, so I still talk about it. Yeah. I've probably told this a million times because I think that to me is like, now when you, I've just ruined you because when you go out for sushi, you'll be like, yeah. is this real wasabi? Because real wasabi is a very different texture. But now I get to share the story with, you know, around the dinner table and it seems smart, you know? Yeah. So yeah. thank you for that little yeah, exactly. information. I appreciate like, it. Actually, that's not wasabi. It's like, George, come on, you yeah, told yeah. us last time. Yeah, you'll annoy all your friends. They'll be like, we're never taking George's out to yeah. the Japanese. But I think I think brands that can do that kind of stuff really well are great. Um, you know, we've worked with, we're currently working with a brand now, um, you know, and we're working out some things to, um, with, with WeWork to think, how do we, you know, they've got a story to tell. And... Um, you know, they, they've, they've got flexible working and they're a great brand and they, you know, but how do they tell that without doing a TV ad? So those are things that we're working through with launch partners. Nice. And Think, sorry, go ahead. No, are you, you mentioned video before and using that, you know, what are the advantages of that? Are you, you know, looking at a li- little bit differently now with kind of short form video taking quite a, you know, a, a prominent thing with TikTok and YouTube shorts, those sorts of things? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, um, when GBS stopped, um, running under CNN, those things were, were not what they are now. So we've actually found huge success um, on TikTok and YouTube Shorts, um, getting lots of views, lots of shares, um, and seems to be kind of really engaging people and building the brand. So I guess, yeah, when we have conversations with, with partners about co-branded things, that will definitely be something that we will bring into the conversation and put on the table. Yeah, I mean, that, that's one thing. I mean, TikTok wasn't around as, as you know, as prevalent as it is now. Mm-hmm. And if you ignore TikTok, you're, you're probably not doing great as a brand. I think you, <laughs> and, and it, but it's a really hard channel to do great as a brand. It's great for, you know, merch and e-commerce and, or e-commerce and all those things. But so, yeah, so building out the TikTok piece. Um, and I do think, and I don't know if, if you mentioned on the podcast or we were just talking about, but I think influencers are going to be hugely important in this creative world and, and not because influencers are just like people like talking voices. They're actually really creative people. Mm-hmm. I mean, people like, I mean, I think, you know, Mr. Beast is probably the most creative person I've ever seen in my life. Like the stuff he does or some of these guys. I mean, so, so I think brands, you know, I think there's a challenge working with influencers to let them t- create, but then there's also lots of challenges with, you know, data and is it all true and, and do you get what you expect? 
Yeah. Um, but we're trying to find that happy medium of being sort of, I mean, I think publishers need to kind of rethink their positioning. Like publishers are not just news organizations or storytellers as much. We're also influencers. Like great big story could be an influencer and with a TikTok and with, uh, with video. And then how do we integrate that? And then also maybe leveraging influencers. But I think it's all about, I mean, they're incredibly creative people. It's an interesting point because when we, I spent a brief time in Influence Marketing and um, you would have celebrities like the Kim Kardashians of the world that would be able to get you just a huge number of eyeballs to look at what it is that you were having them promote at that time. But they really didn't um, get a crazy amount of engagement versus people that maybe had like 20 to 100,000 followers because that person probably has interacted with people that follow their content. And after a while, when you follow influencers on the platform, you kind of view them as your mate. You're like, you're like okay, mm. I, I know what you do, that resonates with me, I do that as well. I've never really met you, but like kind of share this connection through a platform. And then it's like, if George says, oh, you should go to dinner at this restaurant, I'm like, okay, that's a good recommendation I've got from my friend, I'll try that out. And then that, that similar phenomenon kind of happens with these smaller groups of influencers and they kind of are then the de facto leader by like a straw poll of how many followers they have of a particular niche or subculture that they represent. And I think that is maybe where large publications get it slightly wrong because they are the celebrity in that analogy. And having a good creative to a particular audience is the kind of micro influencer, if you will. In that yeah, for sure. analogy, but yes, yeah, for sure. As long right. as they're not putting flowers and Pepsi cans and stopping wars, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that didn't go so well. I, I think that's probably what we've seen with the evolution from potentially using the word influencer to creator. Yeah, as you said, yeah. Mr. Beast is probably more of the the new age where you know the Kim Kardashian reference is maybe something that was uh, five ten years ago that was a bit, more, a bit more um, bit, bit, bit more poignant, but um, passe. I think that's where we're moving towards. It's more creators and people being brand ambassadors, but that means around like remixing content, you know, kind of taking that to the next level rather than just, you know, following a direction. And, you know, the, the Pepsi example is a great one. Yeah. Yeah, we, we have a, um, a producer who worked at CNN and is now coming on to this sort of second part of the Great Big Story journey with us called Beryl. And she, um, she like her whole thing is finding out about different foods from around the world and then trying them. And it's exactly as you were saying, people get to like come into her kitchen and see her making things and trying them. And she said, this week we have her trying blood pancakes, mm. um, oh. <laughs> which is um, kind of tradition within the salmon like, people. Like haggis, haggis pancakes? Kind of like haggis, except you just replace the milk with oh. blood. Okay. Um, that's and, vibrant and at the um at the end of the video she's she's going to ask like you know this is something from a culture that that maybe a lot of us would find a little off-putting but you try it and it's delicious is there something from your culture that you think that people might be afraid of trying but they really should so you know we're excited to see what those comments are and mm. and bring in that that kind of user engagement and then it can potentially be a kind of creative next step for the next video uh, I, I love that you know it's like we're, we're showing you something teaching you something mm -hmm. come along the journey and you know we can kind of share it together and all, all learn together so that, that's a really nice search um are I'm you gonna, gonna try are you gonna will you eat a blood pancake with us i mean i, I eat black pudding i guess that's like not too okay. similar you know i think I figure it out we'll bring them in yeah where am i gonna get a, try, where am I gonna get a pint once. of blood i gotta <laughs> <laughs> i can figure that part yeah. out <laughs> i'll leave that to you yeah. <laughs> um 
you, you mentioned before about your um, launch partner, um, WeWork. Um, have you, do you want to discuss any of the kind of successes or challenges in these, these campaigns and the kind of creative process you guys have been going with them a little bit more? Yeah, so we're actually quite early days with them. So I, I um, but we're really excited because they're they're a known brand. They've had a you know they've had an interesting history, and I think everyone I've ever talked to, they love going. In, I mean, WeWorks are cool. Like you go in there, they're like they're kind of fit for flexible future and flexible working. So I, you never really hear anyone say, you know, I don't like the WeWorks. I don't like working out of there. Unless they're, sometimes they're too busy or something like that. But I think for the most part, they're just, they're cool spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, with everyone, I mean, there's, there's always challenges. Like you think about, uh, you know, and, and Albertine and I were just talking about this, like just kind of creatively thinking about what, what is like, like they're in the middle of a fundamental shift in the way humans are, are, our behavior, right? And you think about fundamental shifts in human behavior would have been, you know, when we first got our mobile phones, I mean, that changed our lives forever. And then obviously the internet changed our lives forever. I think uh, web three stuff is change is going to change our lives forever. I think there's no doubt that AI, I mean, we're, I think we're extinct by 2056. Is that right? Is that the number? But I, I think, you know, AI is going to change the world forever, but also, um, so, so those things you can easily say fundamentally the world changed, but also the way we work is fundamentally changed. And so that's the challenge for, for them. I mean, they've got this great place that is kind of designed for that future, but how do, you, how do you do that without, like, I think everyone knows what it is. So it's just a matter of, like, how do you connect and make sure that people are, 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 are thinking, you know, because I, I do believe, this is not a plug, I, I believe, I mean, we work better together, right? This, po- this podcast is more fun that we're sitting in a room and seeing each other's body movement and eyes, but, like, Absolutely. if we did it on a Zoom call, like, you could do it, but like being, we're going to create, especially in creative, like if you want to create stuff, you got to be in rooms, you got to have whiteboards and you got, and there's no denying that, but we also like to work from home once in a while. Absolutely. So I think, how do you have that flexibility, yeah. you know? I mean, there's a reason why everyone worked in offices for so many years, right? Like yeah. perhaps not five days a week is the best, but I sadly went, I went back to five days a week. I just didn't like working at home on my own because I got bored. I'd rather yeah. sit in here and just annoy people. Yeah. I'm human. Like, but once in a while, it's nice to have a day. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. Yeah, like if you've got some... Air, it, you end up doing more of the your life admin. We're going down a bit, a bit <laughs> hole. Sorry, I can bring um, it back. Yeah, it's classic me. It's out of practice, um, but you you get a lot of stuff done that perhaps you wouldn't done. Then you are more productive when you're because you've like done the dry cleaning time. Though you're yeah, not spending true. your work time doing your life admin. You're just using that yeah. commuting time. Exactly that. So, and as we know, creativity is draining, right? So, mm-hmm. when you've got those little bit of time back, those little pockets, that hopefully, when you bring that energy, your A game to those in person experiences, you're going to have that enough kind of rest time to, you know, talk about some of these campaigns we're talking about, you know, create something actually meaningful, you know, tell a story. So, mm. you know, I think that's just probably about life balance, and we work, we've definitely got that. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see what you, you guys are, you guys going to put out there. Yeah, no, we're, yeah, we're excited to work with them. They're they're great partners, and um, yeah, we're we're really early days, but we, yeah, we'll we'll, uh, yeah, we'll share that around when we're done. We'll be looking to the future, and also, yeah, stories of people working together, and um, you know, just finding those stories that have the messaging from WeWorks, but are also surprising, engaging, really kind of creative. What's what's the next fundamental shift? What's the next thing that's gonna like? You know, I think I think AI is definitely the shift. I think it'll be mixed reality stuff. I saw some ads at a basketball game where they have like this crazy uh, hologram. Is probably not the right word or technically the right word, but like the pitch like flipped over and then these things appeared and it 
But it's real life, but it's not, yes. Yeah, it's, I, I think it will be more like Minority Report than Ready Player One. So if you're in a bar with like 20 people, it makes it look like there's like 100 people in there? Yeah, exactly that, yeah. yeah. Or like... If I owned a bar, I would just put like a fake queue out front and just... <laughs> exactly that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you get there and you realize you can jump the queue. You, it, it was, just walk through. <laughs> put a post-it That's there really there interesting. That one, yeah. That's interesting, I think. Um, I don't know, yeah, I mean, that's... but. It's just crazy to think, I mean, just in our like last maybe 20 years, how many things are, you know, 30 years, how many things have just completely changed and like to think and now rapidly, like in, I, this is a total wormhole, but like rapidly, like by, by 2030, 2050, like, I don't think any of this looks the same. Yeah. I think there'll be in the way that like a lot of the last round of unicorns were born from being able to carry a computer in your pocket on your phone, you know, like. Facebook blew up because of mobile devices. Uber blew up because of mobile devices. True. Amazon, yeah. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, yeah. Instagram, yeah. like the who's who of the last big companies. There is going to be some something new. I don't know what it is. Alchemy. Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> agency. I hope so. Um, I don't know if we'll change the world. We'll change parts of the world. Um, but yeah, there'll be some kind of technology that just like changes the way that everyone does something. I do not believe that it's VR headsets just because like no way I agree fundamentally when you implants maybe yeah can't see what's going on it's more dangerous and that is unnerving but like actually you get hurt in the real world not necessarily a metaverse you know what I mean so but we, we did see and I, I I felt you know obviously it's terrible people losing their jobs but I didn't really ever believe in the metaverse future and I think that a lot of that um thinking was whilst we were in lockdown yeah right so they were projecting what's going to happen obviously a lot more online usage but as we were talking a little bit earlier the in-person doesn't you can't be in person like you know i mean some people will probably hate me and say no i'm i love my virtual self better but i think you you know again back to the creativity stuff you can't beat being in person we just did a creative workshop before this if we were doing it over Zoom, we wouldn't have got the same sort of ideas or outputs. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I was we, Albert and I were just talking about this on the way over. I was like, I was in a room with with four or five guys that were all investing in the metaverse, and I just said, "Has anyone just raise your hand? Has anyone been in the metaverse?" And they were investors in it, and not one of them had been in the metaverse. And I said, "Well, if you're investing it, they said, well, yeah, but it's the future." I go, "Ah, I don't know. I like my legs, you yeah. know." So you just wobble around, you just bobble around, you don't even have legs, right? You just kind of... Yeah. There's some crazy stats, which I think it is for every dollar that has been spent by a consumer in a metaverse, $60 have been invested by venture capitalists, private equity firms, investors in general in metaverses, (laughs) which is like, hey... Well, let's not let's not uh, poo poo the metaverse too much. That's it. Could ooh. be fun. Could, could be fun. It might Ready be. One's for, a great film. Hey, yep. there's Watch an ask for every seat. Book. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit about um, well, quite a lot actually about um, engaging audiences um, and through you know the the kind of death of the cookie in 2024. What do we see the the kind of future of, of that and how are we going to be able to engage our our audience going forward? So I think that will be, I think about this a lot again, um, it depends on the ubiquity of Web3 wallets. And so they are becoming more and more common. I think people do use them more often. There's technological advances that allow you to use a Web3 wallet to store session IDs on a computer, which is essentially what a cookie does. But I think where it will get interesting is when people 
find a use for it. So like, okay, wait, wait, sorry. I'm a little bit behind. I'm not. So let me just make sure I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Can I ask? And maybe yeah. there's people listening. They're going, what? Maybe your, your audience is going, <laughs> yeah, we got this guy. <laughs> um, you're saying, so, so a secure, like a, like a secure token of some sort, my, my data in my web three wallet, like, like my personal data that, and then I uh, allow what I'm willing to share with you or advertisers is the data that like you're saying, like, is, do you think is that where that would be held? Like if, am I, yeah. I, I think the future is, the future is I control my data. I should get paid for that. If you're going to use it and exploit me, if you're going to exploit me, exploit me and pay me for it. But yeah. also you think, is that where it sits? So my token and my data sits in a web three wallet is that blockchain. And then like, I allow certain parts of that to be shared to advertisers. Is that, am I way off of this? No, no, no. So like, you know, when you go on a website right now and yeah. that yeah, cookie yeah. notice comes down, you're like, I consent for you yeah, to yeah. do something I don't understand. Essential only. Yeah. And so all that, the only difference will be like, you might have a wallet, or you can even call it an account that you use to yep. browse the web. But the difference between accounts that you might have today, which are like you log into your email or Spotify, they are all siloed within that particular platform so yep. it's and that a lot of the time is the usp of that particular platform so like spotify it's a good example is the usp of spotify is not the tracks they have on their platform because you can get them everywhere it's the tracks that you have saved in a particular playlist and i would have this existential fear that if spotify ever goes under it will be like a decade worth of my music yeah. just disappears. And I won't be able to, you'll miss tracks. You know, you won't be able to remember the one, the weird ones that you put together in a playlist at some point when you're on a flight or whatever it is. If you're able to take those preferences out of Spotify with a Web3 wallet using yeah, that'd be super cool, yeah. rails, then you would, the way you use those platforms would be totally different. You would have probably use Spotify for most of the music that you listen to just because it's got a great user experience, but there might be a high fidelity service that gives you like really good quality for when you're sat at home and you're listening to it or there's you use soundcloud for a dj set that you wouldn't necessarily even get on spotify and all that's stopping you is the user experience of moving right. your preferences around so the once, nft is the new vinyl collection yeah pr kind of yeah, yeah. yeah. you yeah. know like it's it's actually the same thing it's just like the value is in the eye of the beholder for right. that but like if you had a wallet that you took with you rather than leaving your data in a platform, then you have, that is very interesting for people to know without necessarily knowing who you are. So, they like so do you think when you land on a website, like say you come to the great big story and you, it says, do you consent to cookies? Mm. And if it's hooked into, let's say alchemy or something like that, and you, you hit okay, or then that would then connect to your pre settings in your wallet that say I'm connecting and I'll, I agree to these cookies and that cookie is yours and then they can access that because you've given them consent. Exactly. Well, it's actually given them permission. So right. it's like, it's like, like take like getting, so like for you to access a, um, a DAP, a decentralized app, you need a wallet. When you arrive on that web page, it asks you to sign a transaction in yeah. your wallet so it can access that information. So you explicitly have to click a button, you know what you're letting you get access to, if you then had, I don't know, um, some trainers that you purchased came with an NFT and then also you had one Ethereum in that wallet and then also it had stored the last 30 websites that you'd been to through a pseudo-anonymous kind of OX number. Yep. That infers quite a lot of information about what that person likes without exposing 
an IP address, a postcode, yeah. an email address. And I'm also cool giving it to you. Like yeah. And the cool yeah. thing is, it's like, at the moment, aside from 10% off your first basket, when you give your email to an e-commerce platform, there's no real way to transfer value back for that information that's being given by you, the individual. And so blockchain is just a thicker protocol which you can use to transfer value. So there is now, okay, I'll just give you something that has value for me taking your information and it's like a bit more of a value exchange which has been lost because uh, to begin with in the early days of the internet like there was a lot of content online but not compared to now like if the the five of us sat around this table started watching youtube now we would never watch it all so like this idea of free content in exchange for data it doesn't pay off for the user anymore so like that is where just blockchain in general becomes very exciting just for re-establishing the kind of intended value exchange online, which is we write, we are a publisher, we write content. For us to fund that content, we sell ads Mm. or audiences to advertisers and then you have to see an ad. Where that has kind of broken down over the years, you either get a ton of ads, people taking your cookies they don't realize that data is being misused, you know, like your page loads really slowly, it produces a ton of emissions, it's like really got out of hand so just by yeah putting more value back into the people that are creating value in the first place is the best way to redress that imbalance that you have online now with the way that you because if you get i don't know like i'm going off on one put my soapbox away in a minute but um it's never happens i will watch a good ad you know like i like tv ads because you like get one at the beginning get one in the middle you get one at the end i'm like i can deal with that but when it's like ad here ad here ad here ad here sign up to our newsletter it's just like a bit much i'm like i don't want to go on this website anymore yeah and those ads are designed like with your data and like specifically and your intent and it's all intent and you're like it's just it's too much just leave me alone little and often you know that's the way advertising works i'm I'm already trying to figure out like i mean Governments and, and regulators are already bumbling through this third-party cookie thing. Yeah. They're like, no more cookies. You're like, well, we need to drop a ghost cookie to make sure you can have no more cookies. Like, well, what do you mean? No cookies. I'm like, well, then we won't know. Yeah. So I can't wait to see you on Capitol Hill in America, like Mark Zuckerberg, trying to explain that <laughs> to, you know, 70-year-old Congress people and be like, and, this, and they're going to be like, okay, so what you're saying is you run the internet. But I, I think it's really hard to explain to people, and that's going to be the hardest part is like, explaining that making that the norm but i think that's like definitely the future of cookies right like i think there's a way people should be we've been getting exploited and they take our data and everyone's making money on it like publishers and advertisers and then they sell them off and then they third party they retarget us until we just bludgeon us to death to buy Mm. like as a user why can't we have a piece of that well i think the stat is that you would have to pay five hundred dollars to use facebook if there was no ads on it People would be like, yeah, I'm all right. 500 a year? A, a month. What if they just charge like $2 a month or something? Probably not enough, yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean... Well, I Facebook's mean, also trying made way too much money from basically stealing our data. So 500 is probably... But if they said like a dollar... You know, if they got a billion users and they had a billion dollars in revenue a month, still I think be, there's still... still be more layoffs. <laughs> I think there's still a lot of people that would pay a dollar, but <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I wouldn't. No, I don't think I would either. What's interesting is, um, you know, I think what Ben's just explained is, does feel pretty complex. Um, what I think will be the adoption side of things is we're all quite familiar with just kind of saying accept cookies or reject or whatever. That's ingrained in our user experience already. 
I think with that kind of wallet connection and that signing of contract transaction, that will probably become the new norm. And the way that you can do that is by kind of easing people to what they already know and familiar with. Yeah. So really, a lot of people don't even know what cookies are or what the, you know, we're in the advertising space, we kind of understand it, but people just say yes and no to stuff. It's like reading T's and C's. So yeah. I don't see a huge kind of backlift to it. And if you can position it in the in the way that it's power back to, you know, you and kind of owning your data, that that's a bit more exciting for people. But it just is it is quite a complex subject. So Well Google says so Google says they're still they're gonna phasing out third party cookies by twenty twenty three. Does anyone still believe them? I think it's now twenty twenty four. Yeah, I've heard yeah. early twenty twenty four and there's yeah. like because I think they're going to try to phase it out, but until they're like forced, because the amount yeah. of money they make off that is because they well, push that back twice, right? Yeah, I think they're going to wait until the DOJ forces them to break off yeah. little bits, and then they'll be like, "Hey, we just want to keep YouTube." Albertine, why can't we just create incredible content that connects emotionally with people? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we want to talk about. Uh. We no. can. We just have to. It's good to know that people are thinking of new solutions for cookies that actually benefit users and advertisers and. Publishers, because I've been working with a lot of publishers um, lately, and, and I, I, I was desperate to work with Great Big Story because when we worked at CNN, it's just like the, one of the coolest platforms and, and, and just the way they tell stories. And you see the comments. Like when the first video came back, it was like, in this depressing world, this is the greatest news I've ever had. And like, this is so, so people are really happy to have it back, but yeah, no the, pressure. <laughs> yeah. But the new challenge, so a lot of the, you know, the, the new challenge we talked to publishers, I, I think. Anything publishers have been doing up until now in data is probably time to restart and go, okay, wait a minute. And I, and I think all these changes are actually really good for publishers because, but they should have been thinking about this five years ago, right? So now they're going, okay, what do we do? Okay, hey, first party data is really important. So now you're going to see them all come out and be like, we need a newsletter and we need to, you know, capture data and we need to do this and we need to connect with our, it's like, yeah, you should have been doing that all along. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's interesting to see like publishers going, okay, so the, 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 the data is, the first party data is, the gold dust, because you get consent. Then you treat your customers right by serving them what they want and what they like, and then they're usually happy to kind of you know do that. And then um, as you go along, you can you can find you know ways to use things like clean rooms or whatever, and just say okay. And then you can share and find collaborations or work with influencers stuff like that. So there's clever things you can do with data outside of third party cookies. I just thought I thought third party cookies sort of slowly took the soul out of creative. Yeah. Like, because it just moved to that. I mean, we went, we went, we used to think about top funnel to bottom funnel. And so you had to be really creative at top funnel, work your way down to bottom funnel. And yeah, you'd get a little more call to action intenty, but we actually just, there was companies that just were created like Critio or whatever that just, Hey, we're just going to focus on bottom funnel and just like beat the crap out of that for, for years. Yeah. And I think you, so creative back, to, I kind of tied it back, but creative yeah, top funnel, super duper creative, collect the data, work, work, you know, work with your customers. And then you can, you have an opportunity because you've earned their trust to then work themselves down the funnel. I think that's a really interesting point. And I think that's what, it's quite a web three way of thinking that, which is actually giving value back to your community mm -hmm. and the people that are engaged with you. So I think we've seen it work in the web three world. Um, it's a lot of stuff that we do at actually agency, which is take some of the strategies that work well there and then integrate them into web two companies. But what you've just explained is a very kind of, what we what we talk about a lot at agency so it's it's really interesting i think the more we kind of focus on that and ultimately what we're saying about creative is it's, it's that actual value to people you know people that's engaging back to the storytelling we were talking about which is where we want to be that's what we do as humans right we like to share and tell stories so you know let's focus on that and maybe less on the kind of you know the the, the kind of 
grim back end or bottom funnel that we're, yeah. we're talking about? It, it all starts with creative. But then you need smart people to figure out the other stuff. But the create, I really think, I'm not saying creatives aren't <laughs> smart, so I don't mean that. But, <laughs> but, um, but you, you've been working on some cool stories lately too. Like there's some other stuff that, I mean, just, yeah. it, I mean, f the, the one thing is like finding great people to tell stories too, like, and people who connect with people. It's always kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, we've, um, oh, you totally put me on the spot there. <laughs> <laughs> no Sorry, yeah. trying to get you involved. Well, I, I, I talk over you. We've got some exciting ones coming up. We've um, we just done an interview with a woman who makes all the edible props for film and TV shows. Okay. Um, so in our video, she <laughs> shows us how to, like, make raw meat that's edible and vegan. Um, and she did a lot of the props for, for Hannibal and um, some... Uh, uh, Star Trek and and all of these kind of cool Wait, that creative was, crazy things. That was three D printed meat. No, no, or was that a different story? That's a different story. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. Uh, she um, she makes it all by hand. Um, Vegan meat finds all of these like creative ways to to make it so that it's really gruesome but delicious as well. What about <laughs> the three D printed meat? Yeah, we've also. Uh, Would you eat that? Yeah, I'd give it a go for sure. Try anything once. Yeah. <laughs> Where's she based? Where's that based? The 3D printed meat. The 3D printed meat is in Spain, and the the sort of gruesome Hollywood chef is uh, based in Toronto. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. You got a printer? When I get into creating <laughs> fake food, the props for films. I think it just sounds like you just buy a oh buy oh. a 3D printer, but what watch the, watch the oh, yeah. watch exactly. the video. We'll find out. Yeah, 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 yeah out, we'll right? find out. It's <laughs> a <laughs> so plug in there. Nice. Well, look, guys, I don't want to keep you too much longer unless we've got any, any more to talk about. But I'd just like to um, thank you all individually for um, taking taking part in this. And um, yeah, let's maybe have another conversation in a in a few months time. And you know, we would love to hear about your progress and we can share some more about ours as well. Yeah, yeah I, I, I see some things with all of us in the future. So there'll be some cool things we can do together. But a great big story, if you will. A great big story. <laughs> Am I right? That's right. Not bad. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> okay. Uh, so this was an agency takeover of Lab Talks. Thanks for listening and see you guys soon. Thank you. All right.